0: Well, welcome to the latest ASA podcast with me, Dr. Chris Keel. I'm kind of working my way through some of these questions that were submitted by the members, and that's a whole lot more fun than trying to make stuff up on my own. So keep sending them. Those are great. One of them is kind of an open-ended thing, and it was basically, you know, is this the year that manufacturing kind of recovers or becomes great again, or whatever terminology you want to lose? The fact is, we've never stopped being great. I mean, the implications of a question like that is that somehow we had not been or are no longer the manufacturing nation that we used to be, and that's not true. It never has been. We're still one of the dominant manufacturing nations on the planet. I've pointed this out in lots and lots of talks, but we're still a country that dominates when it comes to high-value manufacturing. We still account for between 30 and 40 percent of total manufacturing value in the world. The only country that challenges us in any way is Germany. So between the two of us, we end up dominating 60 to 70 percent of high-value manufacturing. China, India, Mexico, all the other low-cost platform countries predominantly focus on consumer goods on lower value items, they're low cost platforms, they're countries that make it possible for a manufacturer to sell a consumer good at a low price. Because at the end of the day, if you're selling consumer goods, you have to keep the price down or consumers are not going to buy it. What the US specializes in, what Germany specializes in, is high value. Airplanes and road building equipment and mining equipment and technology and robotics and, you know, it's just, we know that what we produce is expensive and it's high value and it's high quality. And we always have been a leader in that category. The other thing that can kind of mislead when it comes to the role of manufacturing is when people talk about how many people are working in manufacturing. You constantly get this discussion as far as the media is concerned that only, you know, 10% or 7% of the population works in manufacturing. The reality is that we count people according to what they do. When you're figuring out who does what in the US, you look at what their job function is. So what you want to know is how many accountants do we have? How many. File clerks, do we have? How many manufacturing people do we have? So, when you are looking at job function, you can be somewhat misled. I mean, right now, if you were working for Ford Motor Company, 92% of the people who work for Ford are not in manufacturing, not technically. They're in accounts receivable, they're in design, they're in marketing, they're in anything but. Manufacturing, because the only people that are counted as manufacturing would be the ones on the line. And the persons working for Ford are going to point out hey, nobody's on the line. We do that with robots. We do that with machines. And the person who programs the robot is a computer programmer. The person who installs the robot, a robot installer. The person who maintains the robot, a robot maintainer. They're not in manufacturing. So you end up having a kind of a skewed interpretation of who is and who isn't working in manufacturing. The reality is that almost a third of the workforce works for a manufacturer in some capacity or another. They may be in the company doing accounts receivable or marketing, or they may be an outside company that is servicing that manufacturer. I mean, I have clients that are accounting firms that have manufacturing practices. All of those accountants are essentially in manufacturing because their clients are manufacturers. So we have to recognize that we have never stopped being great. We are always at the top of the list when it comes to manufacturing. What is different is that going into this year, we're beginning to see a little bit of a shift when it comes to trade relations. And I've talked about this before too, but the issue with trade is that there are always winners and losers. You can't ever see a trade relationship that's good for everybody uh, in, in in any way, shape, or form because you're either favoring the consumer or you're favoring the producer. For many, many years, we have favored the consumer. Our idea has been that we want the consumer in the US to have a chosen lifestyle. So we try to bring in whatever product we can from wherever we can at the lowest possible price. So that encouraged production overseas because if you're going to bring in cheap consumer goods, they have to be produced cheaply if you're going to sell them cheaply. Now we're seeing a bit of a shift towards the producer saying, okay, we've done enough as far as favoring the consumer and it's come at the expense of the producer. And that's one of the reasons we've seen manufacturing leave the United States, particularly back in the 90s and early 2000s. That will come at a cost too. So we have to recognize that if you favor the producer by establishing tariffs and putting barriers in place to help the domestic producer, well, it's going to drive prices up. So, we'll be winning in the sense that more production will be taking place in the U.S. It's going to be good for the productive side of the U.S. economy. On the other hand, the consumer is going to pay a lot more. If, for example, we put into place all of the tariffs that are being discussed right now, and we won't. I mean, these are still kind of political campaign tariffs. I mean, it's like the chances of them actually all being put into place very remote. But if they were, the average consumer in 2024 would be paying $15,000 more for what they bought last year. So it would end up being what amounted to a $15,000 tax per person because everything that they bought last year, this year, would be that much more expensive. Now, as I said, we're not going to see all those tariffs. We're not going to see that kind of jump. But the point is that if people actually did put those kind of regulations and tariffs in place, the consumer would feel it. Milton Friedman once described inflation as the only form of taxation that does not require legislation. And that's exactly what you get when you put tariffs and barriers in place. You spark inflation. Why wouldn't you? So it becomes a matter of balance. It's sort of like, what do we have to do to help producers and not kind of give up all of our domestic production to other countries without damaging the consumer to the point that they can't afford it. So there you go. That's the dilemma. There's no real easy answers. There will always be winners and losers. There will always be those that really benefit from a tariff and those that really pay for it. And and that's just kind of the way of the world when it comes to trade. So the point is we're still a good manufacturing nation. We always have been, always will be. And we just need to be cognizant of kind of our role in the world. Thanks very much, and I'll talk to you next week.